As I mentioned last week, there uh, is a real concentration during these weeks leading up to Pentecost on the appearance stories of Jesus. We hear many different ones, and they're not all in all of the Gospels. So there's uh, some in one Gospel, other ones in another one, and, and um, not competing interests, but they're different. And in addition to that, I mentioned that the uh, Acts of the Apostles is the first reading all through Easter season. And that's rare and special because always, the rest of the year, the first reading when there are two readings is always from the Old Testament, but not during Easter. And of course, as we're leading up to Pentecost when we celebrate the birthday of the church, uh, we're looking backward at uh, the time after Jesus died and after the Pentecost when the church began to explode with the followers and new disciples and Many were not, Gen were not Jews, but Gentiles. And the church grew rapidly. And during this time, which is uh, written about in the Acts of the Apostles, we see the life of the church. So today, in that first reading, we hear uh, again about the activity of the church, we, about the activity of Christ within his people. And uh, we see that it is just rich and full of life and grace. In the second reading, we hear from the book of Revelation and it's a vision, it's a symbolic book, but in this vision, uh, Jesus Christ is seen, and he speaks, and he says, I'm the beginning and the end, or I'm the first and the last, and I was dead, but I've risen. And, and he establishes himself in this book of Revelation as the Christ, the Messiah, who was to come. But the real focus today is on this gospel passage. It's another appearance story. And it really combines both Easter night and then the week after. Uh, if you listen to the story, the first, it's actually on the page, although in the original transcripts or transcripts it wasn't written this way, but there's three sections. It's like a, a three-stage play. The first one is Easter night. And in the very first section, Jesus appears in the upper room. And this is typical of the appearance stories. Um, there's something mysterious or mystical about him. Um, it doesn't get said directly, but, but there's something strange. Why don't they recognize anything about Jesus? His voice, his height. I get it, he was killed on the cross. He was entombed for four days, three days. But would they not recognize anything? So there's something going on here in the Scriptures, and I suspect that it is the evangelist way of writing how they came to know Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. There was mystery around it. It wasn't such a literal event. So what happens in this one? The apostles are in this upper room, apparently where they had the Last Supper. They're locked in there. The doors and the windows are shut tight because they're afraid. They were disciples of Jesus and did remember in the, in the, in the scene there in the, out by the, the fire and the woman says, weren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I wasn't a disciple. Surely you were one. And three times Peter gets a chance to admit that he knew the Lord and he denied him and the cock crowed and um, he wept. He left. In all of the Gospels, there are no disciples around at all, no apostles near the cross except in John's Gospel and it's John. I'll leave that one alone, okay? That's the only one. So, how were they feeling? It doesn't really say, but Peter betrayed Jesus. 
He betrayed him. So was he and the other apostles, for that matter, feeling like betrayers? They were afraid of the Jews outside. They killed Jesus, and maybe they would be next. Maybe they were filled with guilt and remorse, wishing they could have done it over again, but they couldn't. And as they're feeling all these feelings, they also are recalling that some of the women came that morning on Easter and told them the tomb is empty. And in one of the accounts, I believe it's John, Peter and John run to the tomb, and it's empty. And so they witness an empty tomb, but they don't know where the body is. So all of these feelings, all of this understanding, and in Matthew's Gospel, we heard it during the week, there's even an accusation that the apostles or his friends came and stole the body, and that was the story that they put out there. So all this stuff is going on in the story, and all of a sudden, Right in the middle of the room, Jesus appears. Was he a ghost? Not in this account, but in another account, he says, I'm not a ghost. Come, touch me, feel me, give me some food to eat so when he eats it, it doesn't fall on the floor because that's what it would do if it were a ghost. So he says, I'm flesh and blood, touch me. He doesn't say all of that in this one, but he appears, and the doors and windows were locked. How did that happen? The Scriptures doesn't give it away. But right away, the first thing he says, anybody know what the first thing he said when he got in the room? Peace be with you. Shalom. The usual Jewish greeting, but wow. For Jesus to come into their midst, the betrayers, the friends who weren't there for him, the, the scared group of disciples, and the first thing he gives them is peace. It's as if he was trying to heal them of all of their pain and anguish going on inside them. It says then that he showed them his hands and his feet and his side. He breathed on them, giving them the Spirit. Breathed over them, pouring out his Spirit on them. And then he said again, peace be with you. Then we go to the second section, like... Uh, the, the uh, second scene or act. Uh, and it notes right away that Thomas was not there that night on Easter night. And this is a week later. And when they told Thomas, we've seen the Lord, the gospel tells us that he said, mm-mm, you guys are crazy or drunk or something. It doesn't say all that, but he says, uh, I won't believe it. Nobody can make me believe it till I touch his hands and feet and I see the wounds in his side. I will not believe it. And quite frankly, I'm on Thomas's side. I think that would be preposterous news to find that the body wasn't in the tomb and then this is, this is what's being said, he was raised from the dead. I'd need a stiff drink if I heard that. I really would. So he says, I, I will not believe it. I need proof. Don't tell me this stuff and expect me just to believe this craziness. All of a sudden, Jesus appears again. Peace be with you. Saying it to all, saying it maybe especially to Thomas. But immediately says, Thomas, come here. Touch my hands. Feel my side. Feel the wounds. And he says, stop disbelieving and believe. And then this most miraculous thing happens. Thomas goes from what I'd say zero to a hundred in an instant. He had zero belief. He doubted. In fact, he said, I won't believe it. Nobody can force me to believe it. 
And Jesus greets him and allows him to touch him and see with his own eyes. He goes from zero to a hundred. My Lord and my God. And if I'm not mistaken, my little research I've done, I believe it's the only time in the Gospels that, that anyone says those words. It's a total, total affirmation of faith. My Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, you believe because you've seen but blessed are those who have not seen, but have believed. Now, by the time this gospel was written, around 100, 110, there's discrepancy there. Uh, there were a lot of people that never saw the Lord. St. Paul never saw the Lord. Saw him in vision, but he never was there when Jesus was walking on the earth. So Paul was one of those. Uh, he had an experience, a conversion experience, but he never met Jesus when he was physically walking on the earth. And probably most of the people that John is writing to fall into that category. Blessed because they believe, but they never saw it. But certainly every one of us is in those shoes. None of us were there 2,000 years ago. We had no personal, immediate experience of Jesus walking on the earth or, or seeing an empty tomb and then experience him after he'd been raised from the dead. How blessed we are. What are we doing here, 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday, believing in this Lord and we've never had an experience. We've trusted the words of people who have believed for 2,000 years. And I think that is a blessing. I don't know about you, but I'm 72 years old, 45 years a priest, and it just keeps getting stronger to weaken. I can't prove it to anybody. But I know I have my experience. Today, I got up, and um, I was on a little vacation last week, so when I got in the car with Father Gilbert, I turned on a song, because I was in a black parish for 12 years, and there's this song that James Cleveland recorded. It's called God Is. I recommend you look it up on YouTube. God Is, but by James Cleveland. It's a slow, black experience, gospel experience. God is. He's my protection. He's my help. It's, it's powerful. And that's what I just keep growing in, especially as I come and I'm not being dramatic, but towards the end of life, I'm on the second chapter, okay? I am. Anybody over 50 is in part two of life. And what happens in our faith in our God? And what will happen to us when we cease to live mortally? Do we have a, a constant growing faith that God is our protection, our strength, and our life? And as he says in the second reading from Revelation, and I'm eternal life. And that if we believe that, we believe that that's the great gift that we receive. Today, as we hear this appearance story, and it's kind of two wrapped up in one, we're being invited once again to affirm our faith. Can we say with total conviction, my Lord and my God? And you know, um, I guess one of the things I've grown to appreciate is that really our faith life is a life of the Spirit. You know, if this is all we depend on, what we can feel and touch and see, has anybody here gotten on any one of those spacecrafts and gone out uh, a couple of hundred miles or however far they go, uh, like Tesla and Elon Musk? Anybody gone? Anybody been able to afford the, what is it, $550,000 price tag to go out there for 12 minutes? Anybody gone? Oh, come on, somebody's gone. Nobody? Yeah, and I doubt that we will. I know I won't. But that's just, just that. 
to see the earth from a couple hundred miles away? We see pictures of it, but maybe they're fake pictures. Everything's fake these days. Everything. The Holocaust, everything's fake, right? Oh, we trust and believe a lot. But there's so much of this universe, as I love to say, it's 93 billion miles from the earth to the sun. You've heard this a hundred times from me. The heat and light, when you walk out the door and you say, oh, it's warm today, that heat that you're feeling traveled from the sun for eight minutes to get here, traveling at, at the cool speed of 186,000 miles per second. That's the heat and the light you're experiencing. And this is just one part of our galaxy, and there are a couple million of them, they say. And they have all their scientific ways of measuring this. I trust them, because I know the world isn't flat, and yet the church believed that till about 1450, and excommunicated Galileo and Copernicus for revealing the truth that it wasn't flat. But we've come to know, and there's so much more we don't know, and all of the reputable scientists say, we know a lot, but we know very little. We know maybe 1% of what there is to know about the universe. And yet we keep learning more, trusting more. And what do you do, what do I do when we experience God in this vast universe? Well, it's pretty humbling to me, and, and I guess that I just keep trusting more and more and more. And what little knowledge I keep getting more and more and more, I come to know my God and all of that, and, and I believe. So today, um, I recommend that we all embrace Thomas as one of our special patron saints. Bernard, you're first, because we're in your church. But after you, how about Thomas, the doubter? As Herman Hesse, the author, said, you know, if you really want to believe, you better doubt first, and then ask questions. Don't sit in doubt and just say, I don't believe, I don't believe. Thank God Jesus came into Thomas's life and invited him to believe. If we sit in doubt and don't even investigate, please, we've got to check it out. And then when we come to an understanding of the truth, we've got to claim it. I believe it, my Lord and my God. That's when faith comes alive. Pre-doubt or pre-faith, I don't know. We've got to go through our experience of wondering, is it true? Can I really put my faith in that? Can I really say with all my heart, my Lord and my God? But once we claim it, and we know it as fact for ourselves, everything changes. Everything changes. So today, maybe we'll take that little walk with Thomas and experience him, be in his shoes, and be willing to say, I doubt, I don't know, I question. Sometimes I'm not sure. Because then, maybe we can be led to or begin to listen to and look at a little more deeply some of the possibility that there's truth we don't know but that we can come to know. And once we do, if we can really say those words, my Lord, my God, we're in a different place with our faith.